Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor podcast. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Yvonne Dombizotwa Machaga, singer, songwriter, actress, entrepreneur, and a lot of other things. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Thank you for having me, Trevor. You are our first guest on our South Africa series, and I'm so delighted that you found the time to say, yes, let's do this. Who says no to Trevor? <laughs> <laughs> Yvonne, as I, was, as I was working on uh, this conversation, th this is what was playing in my mind. In the townships in Zimbabwe, a young guy, uh, and, and all you're hearing is Mpakanga, and all the songs that you've said, you've, you've sang. And, uh, you are a legend. You are an icon. You've spent 35 years doing this and you're doing more. What's the journey been like? Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, 35 years ago, I was meant to go to university to study law. But uh, let me just um, uh, backtrack. You know, growing up in the townships of uh, Soweto was something that made me question life, question how we lived as human beings. My father died when I was 11, and my mother worked as a domestic worker. And at that instant, when the government took my mother's house, because she was a black single woman and she was not meant to have the house. So we ended up staying in the madam's backyard. And that for me made me ask questions. I used to ask the madam, why can I, can I not go with Louise to school, which is just across the road? Why am I supposed to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, get into the Padko bus, go to Soweto, come back, and my mother used to pick me up, mm. you know. My mother would used to say, you, you get me fired, you talk too much. And, but um, you just wanted to know, why was it not mm. possible for me to just go across the road and things like that? So when I was given, because I always, I never take things for granted. Mm. When I was given this platform to air my views, um, I thought, what better way to do it mm. than doing it in a song? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you have described music as music is love. Music is, is a rainbow. It has no color. And listening to your music, listening to the meaning of the lyrics, very empowering, very en en encouraging. Talk to me about your creative pr process as you put together a song. When I uh, found myself um, at the then SABC, you know, in 1985, uh, trying to hustle for a job because I just completed my metric and I was, go I was due to go to university the following year. And uh, something happened, which I'm not going to say, but I had to correct all the wrongs. Mm. And um, my first song was written for me by Herbert Kulu mm. and Artie Van Veek. Mm. The song had already been written, and I, th I think they were just looking for somebody. So I was at the right place at the right time. Thanks to Phil Hollis, um, mm. you know, uh, we then recorded I'm in love with the DJ. Mm. And everybody constantly asks me, who was the DJ? <laughs> there was no DJ. So I, I made every DJ fall in love with me mm. because I... I thank them, you know, I put them in the spotlight. I made them feel very good mm, about mm. themselves. And as we continued, I said to Artie van Weg and Phil Hollis and Chico and Herbert Lulu, the guys that I worked with, I said to them, it's good to sing. I'm in love with the DJ. I'm burning up. And thank you, Mr. DJ, and all those songs. But I want to sing about things that I see around me mm. because I thought this was a platform to air my views to agitate, mm. agitate people, because mm. people want to be entertained and still be educated. Mm. When you sing, you have to 
have something that people can hold on to or say, oh, this resonates with me. Mm -hmm. Songs like, um, I cry for freedom. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was crying for freedom, but at that time, I saw men beating up women. Mm -hmm. I saw women being beaten up. So it was women empowerment at that very early mm -hmm. stage. You know, to be what I want to be and do what I want to do, I need my independence mm -hmm. more than I need you. Mm -hmm. We as women, it's not that we don't need men. Every woman needs a man, and every man needs a woman. Don't you have a song like that? I do. <laughs> right. It's exactly that, yeah. that we do need each other. But I think it's important that a man knows that a woman was taken out of his rib mm -hmm. to be loved, not to be trampled upon, mm -hmm. and not to be abused. Mm -hmm. yeah. You, you, you um, lost your father when you were 13. 11. 11. Yeah. 11. And your mom raised the three of you um, on a domestic salary of uh, 40 runs at mm -hmm. that time. Mm. Talk to me about the lessons you experienced from that tough upbringing with your, you and your mom and your two siblings. You know, after my father's death, uh, things were very, very difficult. Dad was a driver of a company, and every Friday, the white people would give him a car to come mm. back with the van. And, uh, you know, me and my friends, Bumanini, and we'll be happy to be in this panel van for that matter. You know what I mean? We'll be proud that at home there was yeah. a car. And uh, dad was an amazing man. I always say I could have married my father. Mm. He was amazing. To start with, he was very handsome. Uh, he was very clean. Dad woke up every Saturday morning without fail. Mm. Cleaned the kitchen. Cleaned the kitchen. Wow, what himself. an example. Cleaned the kitchen, scrubbed it, and it was spick and span. Mm. If it was winter, he made fire and put water on the stove, and off he went. My father was a gambler. He mm. played dice, and off he went. And he came back with every cent and put it on the table. And said, Mas Kumbos, my elder sister is Kumbos, there's the money for the children for the whole week. Mm. So I learned from my dad that gambling was not a good thing. But if you use whatever money for the right reasons, it was okay. Mm. You're not stealing it from anybody. And when dad lost, we knew. It was hell <laughs> in the house. But he will, on Friday, we had fish and chips at home. Mm. It was like Christmas. And because I was the baby of the family, it was fish and chips and a Russian or a Vienna. So I always had something extra. And every Saturday morning, Dad will, when he finished cleaning, he would go. There was a, a shopping center called Masenta. Mm. I mean, I mean, township uh, uh, business was amazing then. And he would go and buy, I don't want to call the, the brands, but... Um, You'd buy these biscuits for my sisters and you'd buy me this mm. other nice brand. And so we knew even though things were tough, dad made things happen mm. for us. We were not that extremely poor, but uh, we didn't get everything mm. that we wanted. Mm. We got everything that we needed. What did you learn from your mother? What did you learn from your mother? So when dad died, that was very difficult because then mom was alone. There was no Christmas anymore. Mm. Friday was not Christmas anymore. Mm. There was no fish and chips. Dad was gone. Mom will actually bring her lunch home. You know, her two slices of bread with mm. cheese. Mm. She'll probably once or twice a week bring that home so that we could have it with my sisters. Uh, Mom was a very good cook. So mm. whatever she cooked for the madam, she would then bring home. But what I learned from my mom was that um, you don't have to sit there and feel sorry for yourself. You make do with the little that you have. And uh, what she instilled, you know, in us as the three girls was that we have to depend on ourselves and nobody else. Wow. Love ourselves first, respect ourselves. I remember there were some uncles, you know, David, they would come, you know, because they knew dad had died and mm. they would come and at that time, I didn't think it was wrong. You know, when men come and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
Nyakula. You and can't do that these days. Exactly. Absolutely. But then, you know, you didn't think it was wrong. And my mother hated it. She says, Mabefiga Ningjel. And uh, she protected us and guarded us. Mm. And I sit here today and I say, thank you, mom, for being there for us, for mm. guarding us, for protecting mm. us, for shielding us. And um, at that time, you know, we, we thought she was too strict or she was ugly. And, and now as a 57-year-old, I want to say thank you, mom. Thank you, mom. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of us don't realize at the time when we're being disciplined, when our parents are being tough with us, that this is actually for our good. But my sense is, you have four boys. Mm. You have um, been raising these four boys. Uh, my sense is that we as parents are not tough on our children as our parents were on us. Is that a fair comment? It is. It definitely is. I think... Um our children are a totally different breed. We overcompensate, I think, because we say we want to give our mm. children what we didn't have, which is correct sometimes and sometimes very wrong. Because if it were a girl or even a boy, you want to say to your child, I want to give you everything here. You don't need to go out and find a blesser because you're a blessing mm. to this family as a girl. You're a blessing to this family, and you don't need anybody outside to bless you. And obviously, when it comes to boys, okay, all children, you want to give them everything that you didn't have. And uh, so they think money grows on trees. They don't think they have to work very hard or go an extra mile because everything is there. Yeah, you know. And, uh, and when they see that life is not the, what they thought wa it was, they then, you know, go off the rail. And it does happen. Mm. It really does happen. I mean, not all of my boys are what I want them to be. I want my boys to be what they want to be. But I think every parent wants to see their children succeed mm. uh, and be more than what you are. You know, mom was a domestic worker, and um, my eldest sister is a nurse, my middle sister is a teacher, and I'm just... You know, but I always say I corrected the wrongs that I did when I was young and I worked very hard for everything that I have. But things have really changed. I mean, the societies that we live in, uh, the, uh, the peer pressure that our children have mm. as well. You know, I always told my children that if we go on holiday once or twice a year, it's okay. Don't look at the Joneses and the Petersons next door to say they go on holiday five times. It's okay. You don't know what they mm, do when absolutely. we're sleeping. And you don't know how they generate mm. their money. So be happy and content with what you have. Mm. So I tell my children not to want to have things that they don't have. Mm. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the townships with a mother who was a domestic worker and a father who was a domestic worker as a cook. It was a tough life. Um, I tell people sometimes that we could get up in the would get up in the morning and there was no money for bus fare, no money for Vaseline. And guess what we'd use for Vaseline? If there was buttercup margarine, we would use that on our hair and cooking oils. Sure. Describe to me some of the tough things that you had, we had to go through with a domestic worker mother earning forty runs. Did you hit it as hard as we as I did in the townships? You know, Trevor. Um I don't think when you're a child you realize that you're poor. No, no, you don't. Particularly in the townships because mom will give me a cup of sugar and say, go Guatelma, give them sugar, ask them to give you bread, go Lagamantel, uh, give them Impupu, you know, and ask them to give you salt or, salt or butter or whatever. So it was normal. You just had a plastic and, you know, you go, we lived as a close-knit family in Isn't the townships. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Those things don't happen now. Wow. That's why I say, you didn't even think that, were, that we were poor? No, because, yes, you wouldn't sleep without mm. having meat, mm. but you will have pap and tomato gravy mm. and uh, morojo or cabbage. I mean, there was no waste, mm. and there was no day that we went to sleep without food. Mm. No, 
It never happened. So it was all those small things. It's when you are much older and you think, really? What is that all about? And you sometimes think, mm, when the fridge, when you open the fridge, there's just a, a jug of water <laughs> and ilashi. Yeah. I don't know, why did we have that? <laughs> Apparently to say, fridging anugi, you yeah. know, there'll be coal. Mm. Call, yeah. I don't know why did we have that, but I know that most of the townships, you know, most jug of, the, of water it, it, and coal to keep just, it there. Yeah, and mm. you, you, there was a coal there and jug of water, and that's it. And you open the fridge, there's absolutely mm. nothing. Charcoal, charcoal, charcoal. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You wanted to do law. Uh, you fell pregnant, but you bounced back. Why I'm, I'm going to that uh, uh, sensitive po point is there's a lot of girls who go through the same thing at 13, at 14, at 15, at 16. And they think that is not the end of the world. But preg falling pregnant is not the end of the world. And here you are. Share with me your experiences. You know, Trevor, things have become so sad. I do lots of work uh, with the UN um, as their goodwill ambassador for, you, for, for, for UNICEF as well. Um, it's like instead of us progressing with the times, we are regressing. Um, obviously, being in metric and falling pregnant, um, the society, the community mm. frowned upon me. It was like, you know, uh, and during those times we hid. I mean, I didn't realize I was pregnant until I was seven months pregnant. In fact, my sister took me to the, to the doctor and the doctor said, we can't do anything. She's mm. almost seven months pregnant. I had no clue. Uh, thank you to Mema Chicha, which was one of the teachers that I really loved. You know, when we're young, we, we looked up to our teachers. We loved them. We respected them. And Mema Chicha was a mother. She was a teacher. She was a, a counselor at school. And she came and said, Machak, there's something there. And I'm like, no. no. And, and she left me. You know, she didn't insist. But as an adult, she probably could see. So I ended up writing my metric, being pregnant. And voila, there I had a, a son. But um, as I said, it was something that nobody expected and being the last one in the family, it was like terrible. But I thought to myself, okay, this is something that I didn't anticipate and this is where I find myself. Do I want to sit here and feel mm. sorry for myself or have the second one, have the third one, have the fourth one, or do I want to better my life? Mm. So I had to correct all the wrongs. So today it's actually very sad with all the amenities, the education that is there, our children still fall prey, mm. you know, to these men sometimes who take them for granted because of their socioeconomic space. Mm. That is another problem. I don't think these children mm. do it deliberately. Mm. Some of them are being coerced yeah. in these things. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think as parents we talk enough to the girl child and to the boy child about these issues? You know, Trevor, I, I think we try. Uh, life is very difficult and things have changed. And I sometimes think they've changed for the better and uh, to our detriment as well. Um, I think it should be easy as a parent. We need to find it easy as parents to talk to our children. It should be easy for a father to talk to, mm. to her daughter about mm. menstruation mm. and a mother to talk to the son about whatever mm. boys feel, you know. But um, we sometimes leave these things until it's too late and we have our children learning from outside, from other people. Yeah. And uh, some of these people, if it's a male, and talking to a girl, child about whatever problems, they then take advantage mm. of them. Mm. You know, it's like, mm. okay, I'm going to show you uh, what it's done. And yeah. then they yeah. sleep away. I say to my 16-year-old, Sissy um, uh, Vaughan, that, um, you know, the mother, she was saying to the mother, I don't want my father to know I'm on my periods, yeah. I'm, having, I'm menstruating. Then I, I played along. Then at some point I said, I want you to know that you can talk to me about everything. I know right now you're going through your menstruation. I know what pain you're going through. Can we talk about this? And she just melted and she started talking. And I think we should do that. We should do that. You know, uh, the Princess of Africa Foundation, which is uh, the foundation that I started in 2006 to to be able to talk about these things, which mm. are taboo. Mm. 
and uh, with Woman Radio as well, which is the radio station that I We're started going to talk two, about that. two yeah, years ago. Yeah. I make it a point that it's done in a very respectful way. Mm. Um, there's a project that I'd already started and it fell by the wayside. It was mothers and sons and fathers and daughters mm. to do exactly that mm. so that a father is able to take a 15-year-old girl or 16-year-old girl and say, sit down, let's talk about mm. the facts of life. Yeah. Um, you know, as parents, we can give our children advice, but we can never live for no. them. No, yeah. you can never. You can teach your children to pray before they sleep, wash their hands before they eat, and when they get out with their friends, they do totally opposite something. Yeah. yeah, you hear that your child is a bully, your child does bunk classes, your child but doesn't you keep come on to, talking. You to keep school, on talking. but you need yeah. to keep on talking. As a parent, we cannot afford to be remote control parents. We can't control our children with remotes because we're chasing tenders, a board to sit on different boards and making money. Mm. Uh, all those things, we need them. We need them to make our lives easy, but we should be very careful what they would then lead. If you're confused about healthcare, it's easier to put your trust in us, where every contribution is secure and you can be sure that your membership card will be accepted. So relax, you're in safe hands with us. With access to world-class medical providers, little to no shortfalls, and free iGo membership for all our Seamus members. Join us today. Together, we make a difference. So my favorite songs from all the songs that you've done are Motherland. I love Motherland. Mkomboti. I think a lot of people love Mkomboti. Thank you, Mr. DJ. Um, let me go. I am burning. Do you have a favorite? I mean, it's just an unfair question to ask, because it's like asking of the four boys that you have, which one is your favorite? But do you have a favorite? It is a little bit unfair. Yeah. <laughs> because when you're a mother, you can't say, I mm. love Tempa better mm. than Ningi, or mm. Ningi better mm. than Fumu, or Mandla. You love all your children. Well, you know, as I said, most of the songs were written, mm. you know, by Ati van Veik, Herbert Kulu, Chico, for me. And it was a later in my career where I decided to write my Fair own songs, songs yeah. and, and create the music that I wanted as well. And thanks to those guys, because they did give me the latitude mm. to do that. So um, I cried for freedom. Obviously, it was... That freedom and woman's empowerment, mm. uh, motherland. Obviously, I thought this is my country, and why should somebody call Beautiful me a stranger song. in my land? Mm. This is my motherland. For, for for me, it was a platform that one had been given, and you had to make do, you know, with the space, the words, uh, and the platform that you had. So songs like motherland. It's songs which were sort of inspired by mm. people like Mary Makeba, Hugh Masikela, the people who ran away from the country. Songs like Don't Divide Us, mm. you know, and things like Did that. Did you ever because get in trouble I, for any of those songs? Um, yes. You know, the, you know, the SABC, it ah. was um, the place where the music had to be taken. There was a lady whose job was literally to sit by the reception when you brought your tapes looked at the lyrics and asked, why are you crying for freedom? And chuck it there. <laughs> and I mean, there's a song called Let Him Go. Yeah. The song was, let him go, let him go, let him go to his children, to his family, O Mandela. Because it was let him go, you know, mm. release him. But we had to change the song. Mm. Um, we wrote a song with Artie van Veik. Uh, it was, we were going to call the song, O Winnie, Winnie Mandela. But obviously they would never have played that song. So we changed the song to I'm Winning My Dear Love. So we had to change these songs because we ne I never wanted to be in mm. trouble. Mm. But when you're in the studio, you know, you see Winnie, Winnie, Mandela, and you look who's watching and, uh, and you had to, you know, mm. you know, be come back, come back, come back out of that, Yvonne. So um, I'd never been in trouble you know, straight. But when we mm. went to the stadium and performed, 
You sang the song. Mandela. Mm. And the crowd knew that this, this is how the song goes. So we had to be very smart and beat the system. Mm. Yeah. You know, there, there's a number of things I love about you. And that is, I mean, apart from your beautiful voice and singing, is your authenticity, um, your energy, your vibe. It doesn't matter where I meet you, whether we are at the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, whether we're at the World Economic Forum in Abu Dhabi or uh, <laughs> wherever, at the airport in Harare, you're the same person, and you're the same person that I experience on the stage. How do you do that? Um, I think it's important for people to be authentic. To me, what you see is what you get. I, I do have my days where I wake up on the left and get upset. And, but um, Thank God I've never met you on that day. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, really, this is just me. Mm. And, and I just always say I thank God for my life. I can never stop thanking God because everything I have and everything that I'm, go everything that I'm going through, everything that I've received or whether I'm getting criticized or being loved or whatever, God knew. I mean, Jesus was mm. uh, chastised mm. and bitten and uh, put in the cross. So who am I to feel sorry for myself when things happen? You know, so I only, when, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I can still see and I'm like, not somewhere where I don't know, I say, thank God for the oxygen mm. because he can switch off this oxygen, oxygen anytime. Mm. So for me, it's being happy with your life, happy with your surroundings, because when you're happy, you make other people happy. When, you, when, you, when, you, when you're not a sadist and wanting bad things for other people, you, people can see through you. People can see, you know, but there's people who always just sit there and say, but you know what? At the end of the day, they're yeah. the ones who suffer. You don't know. You just live your life, and this is me, and I've always been like this. That's, that's fascinating. You know, the people that, you know, without you and I being aware, are busy plotting. You know, we will, we'll, we'll fix her. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, when you're getting on with your life. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with criticism? You know, as I said, I put myself in this um, place and say, I am here. You cannot be everybody's cup of coffee. Uh -huh. That is not possible. So it's okay. Other people will have a perception of you or your things. Other people will definitely know you. Other people will just uh, think, oh, you know. So for me, I always say we are all here for a reason. Mm. And everything happens for a reason. Mm. And each and every one of us has a purpose. Whether it's a good purpose or a bad purpose, but we do have a purpose. So let it be. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you think Yvonne Chaga Chaga has found a purpose? I want to think so. I've found a purpose um, because I am here for a reason. I'm here to do what God has asked me to do. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Whether I am doing my public speaking, whether I'm in the fields uh, at uh, Mashvingo, you know, making sure that there's indoor residual spraying, or I'm at a village somewhere giving children sanitary pads, I think that's what God mm. wants me to do. So mm. I am here uh, to fulfill God's purpose, not mm. my purpose. Mm. Yeah. That's powerful, that. And, and um, I mean, I laughed when I saw this. You were the first black child to appear on television, South African television, in 1981. <laughs> what were you doing on television? Um, I need to find this guy. A guy was called Bernard Joffe. There's a lady who went to church with us, and her son was uh, doing billboards. I mean, would look at Mzwaki on billboards and like, <gasps> you know, in the townships, I mean, billboards, were, were not there. And this lady... I'm not sure if she worked with uh, Bernard Joffe or what. And she said, Yvonne, there's a guy called Bernard Joffe. She, he's coming to Soweto. You must also go. So they were looking for children who could uh, dance, who could uh, sing, who could read, who could do poems, who could play instruments. And um, it was funny. One of the guys from the Soweto string quartets, 
came with a violin and we laughed at him. We thought, <laughs> you know, we did not know what the violin, the violin is. Was. I mean, um, wow. how, uh, how old was I? I think I must have been 14 or 13 at the time. And so we went there at um, a, a hall in Soweto and uh, other children were singing, others were dancing, others were playing instruments and... And I just think Bernard Joffe, mm. when he packaged everything and loved it and, and, and put it together, um, he put me there. I can't remember if the program was called Sugar Shack or Abangobi because mm. there were two programs. I mean, this guy was ahead of his time. Wow. He did reality back then, you know. Uh, we had Johnny Demba, who was, um, uh, may his soul rest in peace, I think he died a couple of years ago. They were the presenters of the show and Mum Abigail Bega. I mean, what a superstar. Uh, She was beautiful. She still is, Mm. by the way. And I got paid 500 bucks. She was, I was richer than my mother. (laughs) I was walking here, you know. And uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up on Mm. on the television. And and from there, um, Sissy Vaughan, you, this is no exaggeration. You are the princess of Africa because your music is played all over the continent uh, in the diaspora. I don't know if you have a sense of the impact that you've had uh, on my generation, generations before. Like I was saying, when we grew up in the townships, you know, working in town, uh, this music was blaring all over. Are you aware of the influence that you've had on us? I can only be grateful for the love, the support, and the platform that I've been given to do all these mm. things, Trevor. Um, you know, you. my very first trip on a plane, it was going to Zimbabwe. <laughs> when was that? Do you remember? It that? was in 1986. I'd never been on, the, on a plane before, so I was with... Uh, uh, Phil Hollis and uh, um, I think we were with um, Phil Hollis what, played a huge part in your Well life. Phil Hollis was the guy who found me yeah. um, uh, there was a guy called Louis Chlope as mm. well who worked with Phil and those are the guys that I'm grateful mm. you know uh, 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 to because they gave me a platform but I didn't just sit there and and, uh, and, and you know with my laurels and just fold my arms I worked hard I wanted things to happen. So there you are, you're on a plane to Harare, so I interrupted you. And uh, and there I was on the plane, and now the plane is going up, and I keep on going, ah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Louis and Fila Lu- looking at me, like, if on, I'm like, ah. and I'm like, oh my God, am I behaving like a stupid here? But uh, yeah, and my first trip was to Harare, and uh, I looked at that beautiful, beautiful country, and I really, really loved it and i had so much i still have so much respect for the people of zimbabwe you know the good education that robert mugabe did for his people needs to be commended mm. because an average zimbabwean can read and write and and speak very well and um, it is just so sad when we then are given these countries to take over and then we then leave everything to dilapidate who said Africa should be dirty? Who said Africa should be a, a place of, of hunger? You know, the place of the sick, the place of the poor. It shouldn't be. It's Zimbabwe was, the bas- was a food mm. basket of mm. Africa. Mm. And what has happened now? Yeah. You ask those questions. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Um, y- Yvonne Dombizoto Machaga. But a lot of people know you as Yvonne Chaga Chaga. What are the origins of... Chaga Chaga, do you remember? And not Yvonne Chaga. <laughs> it's funny, I I was looking at something on my Facebook and somebody was like, Wow, how old are you? How old is Yvonne Gatlegate? Because I, I was in primary school and she you're was still there. there. And today I'm a father. And um, <laughs> and um, you know, when you start singing at a very early age, people think you're like eighty or sixty mm. or whatever. But um, um and somebody was saying uh, please make sure that you come back home in Zimbabwe. <laughs> um, I was born in Dobsonville, in Soweto. My mother is a Swazi, 
my father kimupiti mm-hmm. so i'm a north suit kimupiti mm-hmm. and and my father came from a royal family uh, uh, by the way and i got married to the royal family the the shangan royal yeah. family aminga yeah. so machaka uh, is a girl from soweto and when i started recording and uh, people like Louis, Lope, Vicky, Busi and Phil, they said to me, okay, are you aware that Elton John is not Elton John? So I'm like, so what does that have to do with me? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know that um, uh, there was a lady called Kim Kelly and she was yeah. very popular at the time and uh, they called her Magino. And so I had no understanding why should my name change? Mm-hmm. So they said, uh, we want to make sure that, you know, we promote you uh, in the, you know, worldwide. And I could not understand. I mean, I had no clue. Mm. I'm this girl from Soweto. And all I want is I was actually going past. I wasn't here for that. I was going past. But uh, from Machaka, that's how Chaka Chaka was born. Mm. Where were you going? You're not going for this. Where, we, where did no, you think you're going? I was just going to look for a job because mom had said, was upset with me to start with because yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd fallen, fallen pregnant. pregnant. And uh, fortunately, I'd passed my metric. Mm-hmm. So now I was actually going to a place called the Race Relations mm. in Bramfontein, mm. where most of the black students were receiving mm. uh, scholarships to go to universities. That's exactly where I was going. Mm. So I found myself... Uh, in fact, for the past two days, I've been going to race relations and the queues were so long. So I diverted to go to the SABC and that's where I found myself. But starting singing at, in 1981, it was just for that program. And then I continued. I went to school because I completed my metric in 1983. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've, you've gone further. I mean, as we were talking outside, you were saying to me, you, you're doing a degree of them. So what, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> you know... It's always good for one to acquire knowledge because nobody can Even ever at take this, uh, that. young age. Nobody can ever take that uh, from you, whether you want to do your PhD mm. or your MBA. or it, it becomes very difficult to study at my age. Mm. But I, was, um, I had to make my mother happy because she didn't think mm. uh, singing was a career. It was a job. Mm. So I tried to study law. I failed Afrikaans three times. I failed mercantile law. I failed history one. And I said to my mom, please, it's just not working. But I think it's because I didn't put a lot of effort in whatever I was doing. And I decided to to do speech and drama and public speaking Mm. through Trinity College of London. Right. Um, That was uh, in the early early, uh, uh, years, you know, when I was still singing. And um, and then I did um, my uh, business management through UNISA. Thank you to Professor Veronica Mackay, who insisted that I do finish my degree because I did a certificate in adult education. And then I, then I did a higher diploma because I was just scared to fail, mm. you know, and to think if I don't finish. And, uh, yeah, I'm an adult practitioner by profession as You well. teach literacy. You yes. still teach literacy at uh, UNISA, hey? I do. <laughs> are involved on the global stage in philanthropic work. But I was touched by the fact that Upum um, Zilanduli caught malaria. I think you're performing somewhere in West Africa. And that and Zilanduli was your uh, backing vocalist. And as a result of that, you decided to get involved in the fight against malaria. Talk to me about that incident and your involvement in the global efforts to roll back in malaria? You know, Trevor, being a South African and living in a country where we thought there was no malaria, um, I think I always say you never thought it could be until it happens mm. to you. There was I in Gabon uh, to go and perform, and it was an amazing jamboree. They had about 20 
artists from all over Africa, Nigeria, Tanzania, Sierra Leone, and uh, I was representing South Africa. So we got there, the ambassador, South African ambassador was there, and it was all well. I think we're there for about 10 days or so. So we, there was a train that uh, most of the artists decided to take. So I thought, hmm. So some few artists flew, but cut the long story short, it was just an amazing trip. Mm. It was just so beautiful. And coming back home, I remember getting out of that plane and Pumzile had this newspaper, you know, and said, Eshkoko, um, I'm not feeling well. Uh, you know, from when I was 20, everybody called me Koko, mm. you know, Bomaiki and, uh, and, and all those people. And my husband had picked me up from the airport and he said to Pumzile, please go and sleep because you're all tired. But when you wake up, come, come to my office. Come and see me so that we can check malaria. And I'm like, mm, what is malaria? You know. And so we all went home, and two, three days later, her flatmates took call to say, Pumzilage go right. And so we thought, okay, please take her to Jobek Jen. And um, I remember it was on a Saturday evening. We had a date with Tiny, went out, and we got a call from Pumzila's mates to say, uh, she's really, really not well. She's delirious. And so Tiny got an ambulance. We met at the Joe Beck Jam. And she was just saying things that I don't mm. know. And Tiny just looked at me once malaria. and said, we're in trouble. Mm. It's cerebral malaria. Anyway, she went in there and she was um, diagnosed with that. And unfortunately, she passed she on. She passed on. Mm. And that, for me, was a wake-up call because, I must say, I knew about malaria, but, I mean, mm. so what? Uh, it, it has never happened to me. One of my sons, Mfumo, had had malaria from Limpopo, mm. you know, and she was uh, at the hospital for seven days. But I never thought this could really, really happen and take somebody's life. And uh, I called different people. I remember calling Madiba say Dada, one of my musicians had died from malaria and really and so I sat on the computer and was checking what is this malaria mm. and, and why you know because um, I've heard about it but it wasn't a big deal so when I read that malaria was killing so many children under five pregnant women and it is curable and preventable yet so many people were dying and I thought is this a disease for poor people or for black people or, or what? Or, or for the continent and why, you know? But as I say, uh, I think that also even made me even stronger in what my beliefs are, that we are all here for a reason. Mm. And it was in June when Pumzilla died. In January, I got a call. I was invited to Ethiopia. Uh, it was all these UN guys, and they said, we've been looking for this Yvonne, chaka chaka, and we'd like you to come to Ethiopia. We want a goodwill ambassador. And I thought, what is the goodwill ambassador? Am I going to stop singing now and get paid lots of money? And uh, But they wanted me to do something about HIV in mm. South Africa. I mean, there was a lot of controversy and all sorts yeah. of things at the time. I said to them, no, I think there's something that I want to do. And um, Bjorn, may his soul rest in peace. And Bjorn was like, hmm, you're, you're a little bit cheeky. I'm like, no, 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 let me tell you the story. Six months ago, I went to Gabon, and this is what happened. And, and I think I want to be the voice of malaria. Mm. And they said, but we want you to do something about AIDS. I said, no, mm. I think malaria is a disease that wow. nobody talks about. And nobody has given it a face or even the ear. Mm. How, if how is that? I can mm. do it, mm. I want to. Mm. And I became the very first UN Goodwill Ambassador to choose a cause. Yeah. yeah. First UN uh, um, uh, Ambassador for MDGs, also Envoy for Africa. Goodwill Ambassador for Rollback Malaria Partnership. How has that battle been like? Well, because I then insisted that I wanted to yeah. give malaria a voice and a face and, and the hearing and just let people know about it yeah. and what can be done, you know, uh, to make sure that people know about this disease, which was curable but killing people. Um, 
I must say that I'd seen lots of changes. I'd gone to places like Mtwara in Tanzania where the beds, you know, were mm. empty. Um, but I remember going to a hospital where a woman had put her child on her back. And, and when she got to the hospital, child was dead. the child was dead. And the woman had to walk another 40 kilometers back home with the dead child because her belief was that she could not leave the child there. And that was, um, that was very sad for me, mm. you know. Um, I, I just thought African people will still suffer even yeah. after so many years. Women have to walk miles to go and look for help. Women have to go miles to go to a healthcare center and what is even more sad is that when they get to the facilities, the mm. medication, there's a shortage of medication. Mm. This yeah. is our Africa. This is our Africa. Um, Utata Nelson Mandela, you and him had a special relationship. And Utata Nelson Mandela said at one time, Yvonne's music helped us. Uh, it sustained us uh, in Robben Island. Talk to me about that relationship. I was very... Because he ended up appointing you to be, um, to sit on the... 46664. Yeah, yeah, and the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund, yes. isn't it? Talk to me about that relationship. I was very lucky to have had uh, a very good relationship with Mum Winnie mm -hmm. and uh, Mum Grasa, Mum Miriam Makeba mm -hmm. and Dada Madiba. Uh, I remember when Madiba uh, came to visit our home for the very first time. My son was quite young and he loved the phone. We, I mean, cell phones were there, but very few people had them. And uh, when the phone rang, Mfumo always rang, hello, hello, hello. And I remember this particular day, I went past and he was on the phone and I asked him, who's on the phone? He said, this man, this man, call yesterday, mommy. So I picked the phone, I took the phone, I'm like, hello, and I could hear the laugh. And, and I was like, you know, who's that? And this man is, this person is laughing. And I said, okay, I'm going to drop this phone. He says, no, don't drop the phone. I am laughing. The young man loves the phone. And I'm like, who are you impersonating? Who, who's this? Oh. And he said, darling. He called me darling. Dada called me darling because he always said, ha, 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 ha. you look just like Namzama when she was young. Wow. Namzama was Winnie. Yes. So I was like, yes. really? Because I mean, Winnie, Mama Winnie was just a pretty woman. And he says, um, you know, the young man answered the phone. And the first thing, he said, you know, I'm calling for the second time. I called even yesterday. Mm -hmm. The young man answered the phone. He said, mommy, not here. Put the phone down. <laughs> and today he's calling. He's, I'm calling. And guess what he said? Mm. He said, you're calling mommy? Are you mommy's boyfriend? <laughs> this is my diva telling me this. And I was like, oh, my. So I started apologizing. And, but he was in stitches. But Madiba came and visited, you know, and um, I think Madiba was just an amazing man. He made you feel so good when you were with him. It's like you're the only person yeah. who matters. And uh, I mean, there's the, so many good things that he instilled in, in me. You know, he would ask about where you come from, mm. who were your parents, mm. and, and, and they listened to, mm. to, to the music. I mean, people like Jeff Khadebe and all of that. And I think because really there was so much happening, these people wanted just to be entertained mm. and just to live like ordinary people. And so the music from Mashatini, from Mary Makeba, Hugh Masekela, Brenda Fassi, Von Chak Chakachiko kept them going. Mm. And, and thank you to those who came before us, mm. you know, when, when, when segregation was keeping us apart and we didn't even think that we, uh, we mattered in this country. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yvonne, you, you, I know you, you've, you've mentioned Tiny a number of times. I know Tiny, your husband, is very special to you. Um, how important has been that relationship in who you've become? You know, um, when I got married at the age of 23, everybody gave my marriage uh, three months uh, because um, I think people were thinking, what does a doctor do with a musician? Bloody hell. I didn't... I didn't say that. I, you, did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, um, I just thought, okay, he's a, he's a physician. I'm a musician. So 
rhymes well, mm. you know. Um, I just saw a, 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 a man who was kind, who was encouraging me, who was not um, being bossy or, you know, pushing me around. So we became companions. We mm. were not here to compete with each other. We were here just to complete each other. And Tani did just that. He completed me because even when I was studying at UNESA, I started, you know, even when I did my speech and drama, as I'd been already married. Mm. I'd been married already and I'd, I'd had children. And um, Tani was not the kind of man who'd come and find me in the study and demand food. Mm. And no, he found me singing. So mm. he knows that's me. I live and I go and sing and I take my mic and I sit on Trevor's lap when I perform. And it means nothing to me. Mm. I'm a performer. Mm. And um, so he respected my art. Wow. He respected who I was, he respected me, and I respected him as well. And we give each other space, really, mm. to be whatever we want to. I mm. think the most important thing in a marriage is to trust each other, to respect each other, and not... Uh, uh, mm. And um, I don't answer his phone. He doesn't mm. take my phone because... Uh, Exactly. So for me, it's <clears throat> about trust. It's about respect mm. because you can do things, you know, secretly somewhere. And but things will always come out. Absolutely. So you don't have to. I don't feel. Um. 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 Yeah. He's been. Um. He's been there for me. I've been there for him. Uh. He's the father of my children. We're good friends. And um. And Tani knows that I love sleeping. So mm. when I'm sleeping, he never wakes me up. No. That's it. How no. many hours do you sleep? A lot. A lot. That's what keeps me very good. Good. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, when I'm in my sacred space, it's when I'm sleeping. Mm. Yeah. But you've not been sleeping for the past 35 years. I mean, you have had so many awards. We could spend <laughs> the rest of this show talking about your awards, but I'm just going to run through a few. 2017 perhaps was one of your, those years when the world stood up and recognized the person that you, you are. You got the Crens Montana Forum's gold medal in Morocco, the Black Entertainment Television, BET, International Glo Global Good Power Award for Humanitarian Work, and uh, the first African woman to receive the World Economic Forum Davos Crystal Award. I mean. When when you hit 50 and beyond, you begin to say, I'm halfway through my life. I'm sure when you look back, these awards, looking at your life, you must smile with a sense of contentment and achievement. I, I really do. I must say, Trevor, I look back and I say to myself, I didn't see this coming. This is not something that I anticipated. I came, the world embraced me. Uh, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've made my mistakes, I've uh, been criticized, I've been loved, I've been cherished, I've been given everything that I need. And I always say, I never take anything for granted. Mm. So um, it's what God had planned for me. Mm. And I just had to walk this, this, this journey. And I look back and I say, I wish my dad was here to see all of this. Oh. I wish my mom was here, but at least my mother died 15 years ago mm. and I was already, you know, a musician, performing, traveling mm. the world. And I traveled with my mom to some mm. of the uh, places that where I was performing. And I'm just grateful for the platform that I've been given mm. because I didn't waste it. And I did not think I was um, a superstar better than anyone. Mm. And uh, I consider myself as a uh, a tool you know to do this work mm -hmm. and i always say thank you god because you put me in this place to do this and uh, it's because of your making um and I, I'm, I'm just happy you know mm -hmm. if i have to die and come back again i want to come back the same yvonne if i'm not oprah's uh, poodle <laughs> any any regrets um Yvonne, no. any regrets? No, mm. I don't regret anything really because these are things that I can't mm. change. Mm. 
All I can change now is my life going forward. Mm. Do I make it better? Do I sit there and, and cry foul? Mm. Do I blame other people? Do I blame myself? Do I blame my children? Do I what blame do my children? What do I get yeah. from blaming? No, it's look at all the challenges or the bottlenecks and the mistakes that I've made. And I say, how can I correct mm. them? How mm. do I become a better person? Mm. I don't want to leave a legacy. What legacy? Really, I, I want to live my life now. Life is for the living. I want to live my life now, and I'm very content with whatever I have. And I want to say it here, you know, uh, to your viewers that I bought my coffin, 300 rents when I'm dead. Life is for the living. Mm. Put me in the coffin, and I'm gone, and leave mm. the maggots to do their business. Yeah, but and, I want to um, add 300 rents, it's a cheap coffin. It's eh? fine. It's fine. That's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I want because... The little money that is there, mm -hmm. give it to the children mm. who have who are herding their homes mm. now. Give it to the children who want to feather their studies and mm. go to school and be mm. better people. I'm never going to take any of that money with me. Mm. So um, I'm, I'm, that's why I live my life to the fullest now. Mm. And I'm happy and very content. So when I'm gone, I'm gone. Life is for the living. Mm. And a cheap coffin. I like the cheap for coffin. Oh, yes. I 300 rand? Oh, yes. I bought it already. Wow. Yeah, it's there. And all I want is just for them to put some velvet inside, you know, before the maggots come and eat me. But really... <laughs> because that's me, where we're going, that's, ultimately. That's exactly where we're yeah. going. So I think sometimes our funerals as Africans become very expensive. People that I don't even know, they want to come to my funeral. People who've never liked me, I'm not sure maybe they want to come and see that. For sure. For sure. But for me, it's to live my life now, make those that love me and those that I'm helping now mm. happy. And at the end of the day, when the coffin goes, it goes down and I go back to where I come from. Mm. Mm. You, you're amazing. I mean, as we're sitting here, you've been getting calls from, you're expecting your lecturer to call, um, a lecturer at this age with all that you've done. Why, why are you doing this stuff? But more than that, you have, um, what people don't know is that you actually have a radio station. Uh, you have uh, businesses with your husband, Utaini. Dr. Manlalele Minga Utaini, a limousine company. Uh, talk to, to us about the radio station as briefly as you can, why you are into radio and why, what's the purpose of that? Well, um, I'll go back to the limo company. I think we we're ahead of our time because that's the business we started in 93, 94. Wow. So we since closed down uh, at that company and we had uh, hairdressing salons mm. with Tiny. And in 2020, you know, when COVID came, I thought, okay, now one has to find very innovative ways to do business because there were no performances. There yeah. was absolutely nothing. And uh, I've been doing all these chats, you know, but I thought, but then how do we then um, put them in mm. a nice way and, you know, uh, and, and put them in the podcast? And so we started Woman Radio. You know, this is a subsidiary of the Princess of Africa Foundation. So Woman Radio is an online radio station. Mm. You can get it on our website or you download an app, mm. Woman Radio. And it's a, it's a social enterprise where I've got only women, mm -hmm. you know, because I think um, women ha are still so disenfranchised. Mm. So if there is a platform where we can talk about women's issues mm. and things that mainstream radio doesn't talk about. So we do all of that uh, on Woman Radio. And the Princess of Africa Foundation, by the way, does awards. I award backing vocalists and session musicians. Wow. These are the people at the back because I have recognized that um, without them, mm. uh, I would never be here. They enhance my talent. Mm. They help me to be who I am. I mean, you hear the song, you hear the guitar of Ghana Uchema. You don't even know who's playing that. And there's a keyboard there. We don't even recognize these people. So the Princess of Africa Foundation does all of that to empower those people and acknowledge, you know, their being there, that you cannot be on the front line alone you're there with others. Right. I, I, we, we have to end. And I must tell the people that we're ending because Uyvonne is rushing for to meet with a lecturer and submit homework. Um, <laughs> instead assignment. Of, assignment, you know. Um, Sis Yvonne, thank you so much for your time. 
you know, um, like I said when I was when I was reading the the inspiration, and and just discovering or being reminded of the enormity of the work that you've done. I mean, you say you don't want to leave a legacy, but I'm sorry, you've already lived a, a huge legacy across the continent. Africa thinks and believes you belong to us, the Princess of Africa. So thank you so much for all that you've done. Uh, I, I get the sense that this is not the last time we're going to sit down and chat about all that you're doing. I mean, we've just scratched the surface, Yvonne. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for, for having me. And um, Africa is my home, and I am proud to be an African. Fantastic. Allow me, my sister, sit there to turn over. And to our viewers who are all over the world, who watch us every Monday on YouTube, we are out at 7 a.m. every Monday, uh, Central African time. If you want to make sure that you don't miss out any of these quality conversations, such as one I've had with uh, OCC Yvonne, uh, please click on this button, red button, and subscribe. When you subscribe, you receive an alert every time we have one of these quality conversations. We've mm. gone a step further and created podcasts on all podcast platforms. Um, you can roll down below this um, video and you'll find a couple of links that will take you to our podcast platforms. Thank you for watching. Until next time, cheers to you all. Thank you.